You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Tal Leibovitz is competing in his sixth Paralympic Games in Tokyo in the sport of paratable tennis. To date, he has brought home three medals for Team USA, including one gold and two bronze. Tal is an icon in the sport and has been inducted into the USA Table Tennis Hall of Fame and has represented the United States internationally for more than 20 years. He wrote Ping Pong for Fighters, a best-selling table tennis instructional book. Outside of sport, Tall graduated with an MSW from New York University and is currently a licensed LMSW and works in New York City assisting marginalized groups and individuals. Let's start with, you know, how you were introduced to the sport. Good question. Yeah, I started table tennis at the South Queens Boys and Girls Club, and that was uh, a really unique time for me. It was a transitional time. And uh, I think one of the things that was really good about that boys club is we had a league where we would compete against other clubs in the city. And we didn't really have a good infrastructure for table tennis in that time. And um, one of the clubs that I competed against was the 10th street club, uh, which was in the lower East side. And uh, so I made a lot of friends there and I still am good friends with them. As a matter of fact, there's one of them that I'm going to meet tonight uh, in uh, on the West coast for the USA nationals. Um, So yeah, the starting point for table tennis was really the boys club. I mean, that really helped me out a lot. And so were they just, I mean, did you, were you already an active member of the, of the boys and boys and girls club at that time? And then, and then just kind of got introduced to the sport or did you walk in and you saw a group of kids playing table tennis or how, how, how did that first start? Um, well, when I went in, they had a lot of different uh, sports They had martial arts, they had uh, table tennis, they had um, table soccer. We had pool. Um, I was really into martial arts when I was younger. I, I loved it. I, I loved training in that and I liked running. Um, and, uh, I was told from my instructor and he was like, you know, if you play table tennis, you're just going to make your reflexes faster. You're going to be able to be a, a lot faster. I said, okay. And as soon as I started playing table tennis, I really started to enjoy it. I really, really liked it. And, uh, there was quite a few people playing there. I, I started with a sandpaper racket, um, which, uh, which was good, uh, really enjoyable, but yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what happened was the director at that time, his name is Vinny. Um, and he, uh, he is actually, uh, um, a, uh, he's a physical education teacher, which is in the lower East side again, because I talked about that area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after all these years, I got a chance to see him because our, our main train where I practice is a place called ping pong, which I'll get into, which is a world-class training facility. And, you know, they didn't have that when I was starting out, but they've got like these pods that are opening up all over the city. And it's like when you're when you're in the ping pot, it's like a, a it's an Olympic uh, facility. It's unbelievable. You know, the, the just the the um, the tables are world class, the floors and all that. So um, so Vinny actually was working in a school two blocks away from where I was training. And we started kind of talking and and in long story short, he started that program in the boys club. So he got us, you know, he started the whole thing. He got coaches in there, and that's that was the reason why we got good. And so besides making your reflexes uh, faster, what else What else kind of drew you to the sport? Because you've now been playing it 
this is what your sixth Paralympic game, I believe. Yeah, this will be my sixth Paralympic games. Yeah, I started the the first one was in 1996, um, and it's interesting. In 1992, some one of my team, not my teammates, but someone I was competing against, went to that Paralympic games. He was at the 10th Street uh, Boys Club, and um, yeah, I would say table tennis is it's like running and playing chess and boxing at the same time. It's such a great sport, but what's really good about the sport, I think, what what it's the community. You, 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 there's so many people from different uh, countries, different uh, uh, sociological backgrounds, different financial backgrounds, and they all come together and, and we, we're all like a big uh, community. Um, yeah, actually, it's a, bring up the uh, ping pot again. They actually have a really good, uh, uh, they have this channel where they have like all these people in the table tennis community. So everybody kind of knows each other and it's like one giant family. And it's, mm. it's actually really reminds me of the boys club a little bit because it is, it is really nice that you have, all these different people and they have something in common and, and, and you get to know a little bit about their life. Um, that was just my dog lemon. She's uh, <laughs> always barking and making a big fuss. So um, wanting to be know, part of the interview. I understand. Yeah. I think she wants to join in, but um, yeah, the community aspect, I think kept me in table tennis. Yeah. And, um, and has the sport changed, you know, in that, in that time frame, or, or how has the sport changed uh, from your first Paralympic games to, Obviously, again, uh, you know, heading to Tokyo for this one. Oh, there's been so many changes in the sport, but I would say one of a few of the major changes, maybe four or five. One, the size of the ball changed. It used to be 38 millimeters, and then they changed it to 40 millimeters. <laughs> and then it was a celluloid ball. They changed it to plastic. Uh, then they removed the glue. Then they changed the serve rule. So there were definitely a lot of changes. I, I enjoy the 38 ball quite a bit. Uh, I mean, uh, it's just so much more enjoyable. The sport now is a lot more physical, uh, which is still good. I mean, there are definitely pros and cons to both. But yeah, I'm hoping at some point they go back to the 38 ball. That'll be a lot. That was just so much more fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of changes. Yeah, a lot of changes. Yeah, you wouldn't think obviously two millimeters is a big deal, but um, what what is it about the 38 millimeter? Was it just more? Um, were you able to control it more, or or, or you know? Uh, change it up more what was, what was it about the what's the difference between the 38 and the 40 well it had more spin so what, one of the things about table tennis is it's kind of like a game of deception or a sport of deception mm-hmm. and you're trying to change uh you want to get your 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 opponent to change their legs and their hand and you know make it really difficult for them to get in the right position it's a little easier to do that with the 38 ball it was more of an art i think now it's kind of lost that quite a bit um by changing it now you see a lot of the styles are the same um, of course there are other people that are, would argue the opposite, you know, um, sure. but, um, it was the spin. There was a lot more spin generated with the other ball. So, um, that's what I thought was, um, a lot more interesting. Yeah. I love the, uh, the analogy of, of, of it being a sport of deception because you're, that's, that's part of strategy, right? And you're trying to figure out, uh, you're trying to get your opponent off, you know, off, off guard or, or catch them off guard or, 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 um, uh, you know, something along those lines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want to change all the time. And that's what John McEnroe said in tennis, right? Never hit the same ball twice. I think he said, let's try to do a different ball. Table tennis is kind of like that. Um, you know, when you're, uh, constructing the point in the mm-hmm. rally, you know, sometimes you have certain patterns and things you do that are comfortable, but uh, in the point construction, you, um, you kind of want to change a lot. You know, when you're trying to get that advantage. 
And obviously in, in table tennis, um, in pair table tennis specifically, there's a number of classifications and it allows for a lot of different athletes um, to participate. So what uh, can you walk through? Like, obviously you're probably most familiar with your classification, but walk through the, you know, maybe the, the, for, for the, the listeners or folks that just aren't familiar with the sport, walk through the different classifications a little bit. Um, well, one thing that I'll say before I get to the classifications and where para table tennis is actually very similar to intermittent intermediate and beginner table tennis is that most players, especially in this, in ping pod that are starting out their intermediate, they're not aware yet. They have to build a point. They have to do something called point construction. So mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to play your strongest ball. So you have to do certain things. Um, in para table tennis, it's, it's very similar to that. When you're playing against these world-class players, they don't let you do what you want. You won't be able to really end the point. You have to touch the ball four or five times usually, and you have to really find a way um, to, to, I guess, construct the point, start the point. Uh, but the classes, yes, there are 10 classes and uh, five are wheelchair classes and five are standing classes. So in the wheelchair classes, one, one or two classes, one or two, uh, the wheelchair classes do not play against the standing classes. Uh, they're separate and uh, they have a quad division, um, which is classes one and two. And three uh, has a, a little more uh, impairment. Four has some impairment. Five is a little bit less. Uh, they're all in, in the wheelchair class. In the standing class, when you're in class 10, you are the least disabled. It's a very, very minor disability. And um, the players in the, in the power division are very, very good. They're top in their country. Uh, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's very difficult to play against them. You know, they're really, really good. Um, class nine has some minimal disability as well. Maybe a minimal disability in your legs. Um, and then eight, the disability gets more and seven and six. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I mean, I'm currently in class nine. I was in seven. I was in 10. I was in eight. I was in nine. Then I was in eight. Then I was nine. So they moved me all. They changed the system just like they changed the ball quite a few times. So it depends where you uh, fall in, but I probably, I would say if I got reclassified now, probably would go to eight. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I think folks that are, you know, just getting acclimated to adaptive sports and the classification process and and describe and even just describe description or describing it is a whole other <laughs> ball game and and folks don't realize that you can go move in and out of classifications either based on obviously your own uh you know journey uh through sport or or even through life but also uh uh, because they might tweak the 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 classification levels as as well. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of things, and that kind of tells you a little bit about uh, life in general, right? That that mm -hmm. that things are always changing, right? You know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, look what we're dealing with with COVID, right? We never could have predicted this, right? So, um, yeah, we have to just try to do. Uh, that's what existential psychotherapy says, right? We have to kind of deal with what's what's given to us and try to find a way to make sense of it and kind of find some meaning in this world. So um, I, I, I know that uh, table tennis is one of the sports that, you know, one, even if it's just rec recreationally, people can play for a lifetime. You know, there are some sports where you quote unquote age out, you know, or, or you're not able to maybe to compete at the elite level uh, either on a national or international um uh, scale, but uh, table tennis is one of those games that that I think people, if, if they aren't aren't familiar with it, they should really you know give it a try, just because it is something that you can do, um, you know, really for the rest of your life. I mean, is is, is that 
is that what you plan to do? Is that what you encourage others to uh, to do? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do two more Paralympics. I'm gonna go for 2024, which is in Paris, and I'll do 2028, which is in uh, Los Angeles, California. So that should be exciting. Um, I would say for para table tennis, you could probably play a good level until you're the age of 60. Maybe in rare occasions 65, but that's difficult. In able-bodied table tennis, I would say you could probably uh, you could play uh, till you're about 50. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have some players that are over 40 that are playing really well. Our current uh, the current European champion. Uh, from Germany, he's uh, over 40 years old. So, um, yeah, it all depends. You know, um, there's pros and cons. You know, as you get older, it's harder to start the match, to get warmed up, to get into it, but you have more experience. And um, so, yeah, there's there's pluses and minuses, I guess, to everything, you know. <laughs> exactly. And so what keeps you coming back? I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're planning, what one, it's exciting that the Paralympics are coming to the U- U.S. again. And as you mentioned, 2028 in L.A., um, and, and that's a, definitely, a, I think, a goal every athlete would want to do is play a play a, at a Paralympic game at their in their in the home country. And so, what keeps you coming back uh, every you know every few years, every four years to to want to compete at the at the international and and specifically the Paralympic level? Well, I think it's exciting that you're playing. You know, you're playing table tennis. You're training for four years, and you have that one moment, right? That anything can happen, and uh, I think that's uh, an exciting part of it. But I would also say what, what really motivates me a lot uh, is trying to find that level. You know, like you have a series of tournaments and competitions and you're really working towards finding your level in these big competitions. So I think that's challenging as well. And it's, you know, it's healthy. It's good exercise. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a reason to stay fit. And um, yeah, and, and I like it. I really enjoy it. You know, the people, we have a good community and um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, and so what are the some of the things that you do to to train just in general, like on a on a, either a daily or a weekly basis, uh, to be able to to compete at that level? Well, I'll show you my my training log from yesterday, which is not too. So I keep um, I have like a polar app. That's what a lot of our athletes use. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, um, I walked almost fourteen miles. So oh yeah, my that's, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I try to do between eight to 10 miles a day, um, of walking. Uh, yesterday was a little bit longer because I was training at ping pod and what's really good, which I like there in Manhattan. So I park in Brooklyn and then I walk over the bridge. So I get to get a, get a lot of, uh, exercise. I get to see and get a nice scenic, uh, route. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's been, that actually has been really helpful for me. Um, sometimes I go in Manhattan and I park, but uh, I like to, walk and get the exercise so that's really good yeah well yeah can't can't beat you know crossing one of the one of the nyc bridges so (laughs) a really good view you know really nice exactly exactly and in terms of uh the technical side of things what do you do to to uh to kind of hone in on your skill and your craft we have to play a lot of different styles and that's one that's very important you need to be able to do surf practice that means practicing your surf about three or five hours a week but the most important thing to be able to play well in table tennis is competing. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they don't really attend that many competitions, you know, or if they play well, they'll stop because we have a rating system and they want to see their rating, but you, you can't really put a price on a match that's important. And that, that's what I would say is you really want to find those. So when you have competitions and then whatever you're trying to make the Olympic team or your, uh, you know, which is, which is very difficult, uh, in our, uh, uh, country now is really, really tough. Um, but 
you know, for me, when I was uh, played in the Pan American Games, for example, in 2019, you need to be able to win the gold medal in order to qualify. That's one of the ways to qualify for the Paralympics. It's very difficult. And um, I was down uh, match point in that. And I had a, really played well mentally. It was probably my best mental experience uh, in the sport. And um, yeah, I think that's what you need. You need those matches. In order to really be a good player, you need to practice just like everybody else, but you really need those sort of really important times and they don't come too often. Uh, you know, you know, for me, I've been doing this a long time. So maybe I've had you know, 40 or 50 of those matches, but um, normally to get even five of them is very difficult. Yeah. So it's just, you know, just being in that zone and being in that space is just critical to, to be able to, you know, work through and walk through those, those types of experiences. Right. Yeah, because, you know, it's like even when you go to another country, you know, you're playing in the for me, it's the power events. We have a, we have like a tour, like a German power open. You go all the way there, you know, you're training and um, and, you know, you, you lose one match, you go home, you know. So it's, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. you can't come out, you know, they sometimes they take they have like a round robin. They put two out of the group. But if you lose one match, it's, it's normally you can't you're not getting out. So, um, yeah, so that that kind of puts you, you you're you're experiencing that all the time you know, traveling, doing all this stuff, even the Paralympics, the Pan Am games, a, Pan, a national para championship or a, a U.S. Open national is a little bit easier, but um, you're getting that all the time. So it's like you get used to that. So then when you go to a Paralympics, um, kind of you can, if you can play your normal level in, a, in an intense situation, your results usually are okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and so you mentioned mental. So um, uh, how much if you had to do a percentage, how much of the game would be mental and how much of the game would be physical? Um, I would say, well, there is uh, it's probably 90% mental, but there are really like five, uh, usually the coaches divide the game into five parts. Um, they've divided into footwork, physical, mental tactics, and execution. So those are the five real mean parts of table tennis. Um, you know, and that's how you rate yourself as a player and, and how you're improving. Mm. Uh, for me, my physical is not so good because I have a physical disability. So on a scale of one to 10, maybe I'm three. Uh, my footwork's not so good because of my physical. Maybe again, I'm three again. Um, my tactics are probably pretty good, maybe nine. Um, my execution is very good, nine or 10. My mental up and down, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Um, and these international competitions, they've been pretty good because uh, mm -hmm. you really have to stay focused. And you can't really, you know, things are happening so fast, you know, you're, um, and that's what you really want to do also in those tight competitions. You want to try to stay out longer when you're having a match and you feel like I got to get out of this match. Not really so good. You really want to say, all right, I want to try to stay here as long as I can. That's a good, that's really a good point, Carl. I appreciate that, that insight. And, 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 um, and you, you talked about matches being, um, sometimes just single elimination, maybe occasional round robins or, or those type of tournaments. What, so describe a kind of a, a match environment. First of all, how do you, how, how do you typically, um, I guess, uh, get, get an opponent? Do they, is it, is it by, you know, one place 16, two place 15 type of, of tournament typically, or, or how do you, how, how does, how is your opponent selected? And then when, once you get into the match, just coming, maybe, visualize for us uh or, or kind of walk us through what a match would look like yeah there, there are different uh ways to seed players they have a snake system they have a lot of different uh systems that they use um 
internationally, well, it's, there's also different domestically. When you're playing domestically, there's a lot of like different matches, different events. When you're internationally, at least in the para events that I play, you're really only playing two matches a day. So, you know, domestically, you could be playing 10, could be mm -hmm. playing 12. Um, so that makes it a little bit easier. And the other thing is what you really want to do as an athlete is you want to um, focus on the competitions that you really want to do well in. You really don't want to take more than four a year. Four is quite a, quite a lot, but, you know, four is okay. And then you try to build up. And that's really the battle that I have with myself, really just fighting through to get to the level. And then everything kind of when you get to that, those matches that you're trying to peak for, everything's calm. It's kind of relaxed. And you're, um, but yeah, I would say, um, you know, with the opponents, when you're international, when you go out, uh, you have a 45 minute warm up. You really want to be able to warm up. And that's, you can't really do that so much domestically because there's so many events, but mm. when you're going internationally, you have two events, you can completely focus on it. So what I, what I'll do internationally is, um, you know, what we, before the tournament starts, we have a draw, we have a, a, a draw meeting and that'll probably take about three or four hours. All the draws are done. The <laughs> coaches are usually there. I usually sit in on it. Um, and then once we have the draw, I'll look at the videos of my opponents and I have notes of all my para opponents for over the years. And then mm -hmm. I'll look at like, what happened when I played them last time? Some of them I played multiple times. What was my problem? Uh, where did I feel good? Uh, I have I have a lot of I have some sheets I can I can get them out, but it just it's very specific <laughs> on what they served, what they do in the critical time, uh, you know what they're uh, anything you could think of. So I have that um, for those players, and then I do video, so I'll watch them on video just to see what they're doing recently. Um, and then once I really feel, so then after that, then I move to myself, you know, I try, I do visualization before each match. I listen to music. Um, I might talk to my coach, but I try to, um, just make it like it's a normal day. You know, everything is prepared. Once I go into the match and we're doing ball selection and we're there, that's it. I just, I've already done everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think those, I'm just kind of used to that. I can't really do that domestically because, again, we have so many matches. There's no real ball selection. There's no uh, – it's everything systematic when you're going internationally. So it's a lot easier to prepare. Um, but I would advise players in any sport to really look at why you're winning and why you're losing points and what, you know, what bothered you in the match. What did you do well? Uh, what happened? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, like I had one match where I was playing the U.S. national champion last week. And I was one game each. It's, you know, best of five games. And I was up 5-1. And I started thinking about the, you know, about winning the match and, you know, the, the next game. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up losing that, that match. But I um, said, so okay, you know, this, I'm not ready right now. Like now when I'm in these situations, I need to, I need to practice that. So those are things. And some matches I get very, you know, if I'm not practicing, especially, you know, I get, I get very angry in the match. I'm like, I know I can play better. So it's like, it's okay if the opponent beats you, but for me, it's when I beat myself, when I give the free points and I make the mistakes, there's nothing more, I would say, <laughs> is the word anger provoking. And uh -huh. that. It gets me so mad um, to give away points. But, you know, I know that this is kind of my process and try to do the best I can. And as I slowly get to these big tournaments, um, things become a little bit more clear and become a little bit more easier. And that's where the ninety percent of a sport being mental is, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah. it's mental. And my my yeah. table tennis coach Sean O'Neill, he's he's uh, uh he's totally focused on mental. He had a great career of of uh, making the Olympics, um, 
a couple times and uh, winning one uh, tons of stuff. He won the national championship five or six times. He's got the, I think he's got 15 championships with the doubles and, and a bunch of other stuff. I think he's got the Pan Am and, um, but he's very meticulous. Um, you know, real, real, I would say, I don't know if I could say real pain in the ass when it comes to just making sure there is no detail left undone. And um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I, it's, it's the team around you too, for him traveling with him. You know, you see the small things in table tennis or any sports. It's those small sort of uh, adjustments. But for him, you see the small things your coach is doing. He just says, all right, he just sleeps on the floor. We don't have anything. He's just getting every, making everything ready for you. You don't have to do, you don't have to do anything except you're just focusing on the match. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, rare in some coaches, you know. And uh, so I have a good team. And I also have another coach, Mitt Seidenfeld, who's pretty good. He's uh um, he was my teammate before he's coaching the team right now. And we kind of have similar talents in table tennis and it's been a lot of fun working with him. And he has a son who's really, really good, who has a good chance to do well. Also, um, we also have another wheelchair player. His name is Jensen. And uh, he's, uh, he reminds me of a player, Mike Dempsey. We had, I won't go on the whole thing, but he's improved immensely. And now we have another one that had gotten uh, selected through a wild card who really worked hard and has improved amazingly and so i get to compete with these uh, with these guys on my team and watch them it's gonna be really exciting that is that, yeah definitely and definitely and this year particularly is, is exciting uh and with the tokyo games um can you can you walk can you can you maybe describe the the singles versus like the doubles uh in the in the table tennis in table tennis competition well i would say one of the differences between an intermediate player and someone who might be professional um, is that the professional player is able to focus on themselves uh, in the practice, but in the match, they're able to focus on their opponent. So a lot of players that are intermediate, they're very focused on themselves. So when you're playing singles, you need to focus your attention. Almost everything is dependent on what your opponent is doing. Now, you can try certain things, but you really need to put all your attention on your opponent. So when the ball, and, and one of the reasons you want to do that is because when the ball is leaving a player's racket and it's here, you really want to make a choice. Uh, some of the intermediate players don't make their choice until the ball is much, much closer to them. Mm -hmm. And as the ball gets closer to you, it's a little bit difficult to, um, to make a good choice. You, you start having less options because you're feeling something closer and closer. When it's further away, you have more choices. So you might say, all right, I, I have more opportunities. I have four things I can do now. As it gets closer to you, your choices diminish. Um, so that's the challenge with singles. Um, with doubles, it's a little bit different because you really have to work well with somebody else and really, really well. And um, you really need to know what they do well. Uh, so, for example, in doubles, you alternate. And mm -hmm. what I try to do is we have signals from different spins that we want to do on our serves. So I always tell my, my partner, you tell me what you want me to do. What serve you want? What do you want? And I, wanna, and I talk with them before. What is it that you feel good about? You know, when I play something, how do you feel if I do this? And they're like, oh, I can't deal with that. That may not, you know, they might want to play a strong forehand or they may want to smash the ball. And if I do something, it doesn't allow them to do what they want to do. So I try to do what I can so that they can do what they want and hoping that they would do the same and I can do what I want. And if, and if folks haven't seen um, uh, a pair of table tennis match, either on YouTube or video or whatever, um, how, how long is a typical rally? I mean, how many, you know, sometimes you, you think of, particularly at, at, at an elite level that balls will just go back. The ball will just go back and forth like multiple times. Is it four hits? Is it 10 hits? What's, what would you say it would be the average, I guess. 
You know, it's such a good question. And because the game is so deceptive, sometimes you don't even get fast rallies because you have to receive the serve. Like, like you can serve with heavy underspin, which would be backspin. And mm-hmm. I could make it really heavy. I could make it medium and I could make it light. So the players usually nowadays don't really miss uh, the professional players, the ball, because they misread the spin. They miss it because they misread the amount of spin that's on it. Hmm. Um, that's something that my coach likes to talk about quite a bit. And um, so you kind of see that. So the first thing really uh, is to be able to, like we said, construct the point. And if you have two players that can construct the point well, you can get some nice, the, the point can go further. In, the, in New York City, particularly, the style of play, they really want to end the point very, very quickly without they need a little bit more of constructing the point and starting it. So you'll see very fast rallies uh, internationally. It also does depend on the styles. If you have somebody that's chopping, you have really, really long rallies because it's very hard to pass the ball uh, through them. If you have some people that are playing very aggressive, they might be shorter. It all really depends. Women uh, and girls, they have really, really nice rallies because they play very quick off the balance. They have great rallies. Um, there are some Chinese players, um, Xu Xin, that, they go all the way back from the table and they play some amazing rallies. I mean, <laughs> you just can't pass them. You're just smashing the ball as hard as you can. And they just keep bringing it back. So, um, yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of it's tactics, you know, uh, the, the thing that's important. And uh, another thing that might be useful for people is, you know, if you, you know, if you have somebody that's far away from the table, you really want to try to get the bounce, not really so much to the end line, but you want to get in the middle of the table because the ball will drop. And it's kind of hard for them to play a strong ball. If they're very close, you want to try to put it to the end line. So those are things you want to, you know, play their mm-hmm. right hip and their left hip to go in the middle of it. Um, those are things that there's just some, a couple of small details in the game that you pick up from coaches that, um, that are probably useful in table tennis. 